98%, who left a senior role due to perimenopause or menopause said it wasn't the practical aspects of it. So it wasn't about, you know, having access to to cold water, being able to sit near a window or having, you know, a, a delayed start time. It was about the psychological aspects of it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Talking Recruitment Podcast. It's your host, Neil Carberry here, and I'm about to serve up some thought-provoking discussion with the leading voices in the sector. Keep listening as we delve into the hottest issues in recruitment and staffing right now. It's a pleasure to welcome you along today. We've got a really interesting conversation coming up with our guest in just a second. But before we crack on with that, just the latest from REC Towers for you. Uh, Latest data out on the 5th of May was our labour market tracker, which showed uh, vacancies growing again quite robustly. Do check that out on uh, the uh, REC website and for the latest data uh, on business done that's our billings data on ter- uh, on temps and perm that comes out on the 10th of May and that'll be available on the website as well. In terms of upcoming REC events, points of engagement, well, the 16th of May appears to be a busy day at the REC because we've got both uh, a Northwest uh, 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 regional meeting and a Southeast regional meeting. Uh, They're available to members in that region to get together, have a discussion about the big issues we face, uh, talk to each other as recruiters, but also hear some uh, content from and advice from your REC team and our partners. That's also the day, the 16th of May, when entries open for this year's REC Awards. So uh, do uh, dust off your uh, your glad rags and consider whether you're putting a, an entry in for this year's awards, which of course is always a fantastic night in London in November. Uh, a few other longer range things to think about. We have a big consultation event on the 6th of June uh, talking about EDI in the sector. And that's about trying to uh, work out how we, the REC, can support you better on making progress on EDI. And a couple of other big, big events. We've got our talking recruitment webinar on the 7th of June. That's for your latest general update from uh, from the team. And we're to, we'll be talking through some aspects of our advocacy work, but also what we're uh, doing on some work about the uh, develop about market developments in the industry. We've got a big report coming out in July on that in the run up, of course, to our annual conference, which is on the 6th of July. So plenty to uh, get your teeth into there. The annual conference, of course, is online. So you can join from wherever you are and your attendance is part of your membership subscription. So do sign up now. Uh, let's turn to today's uh, conversation. I'm delighted to welcome uh, to the podcast Helen Tomlinson, who is Head of Talent Development in the UK and Ireland for the ADECO Group. Helen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Neil. Delighted to be here. And of course, we, we today we're picking up on one of the other hats that you are wearing, which is as the first UK menopause champion. Now, I think the, the most obvious place to start is how did it how did you come to become the UK's menopause champion? Um, well, it goes back really to um, 2021 on um, when I came into this role. Previously, um, I'd spent all my career in um, sales and, and operations in the either recruitment uh, sector or the employability and skills sector. Um, and the move into the head of talent role was combined with um me joining the um, EDI uh, committee, which I'm now the HR lead for, for the ADECO group. 
and um, it was just coming up to World Menopause Day and they were looking for somebody to sort of lead on it and I, I looked around the the virtual room of our forum and thought there's probably only me that's got any lived experience or any knowledge of, of what it's about. Um, so I wanted to change that within the, the organisation and um, we launched our menopause policy on World Menopause Day um, and I can talk to you about how we how we did that more broadly later on if you'd like me to um but that i reached out to some mps and asked them if they would like to be part of um, a roundtable event on international women's day uh, which was the following march so we did that and at the end of the call i just said to the clients that had dialed in um if anybody would like me to help them with their menopause policy to launch it to do some training like we're doing here at the adeco group please reach out and i probably spent the rest of 2022 supporting our clients to create their um strategy policy embed it in the business etc um and at the same time we're lobbying government to make it um uh, mandatory to have a policy in organisations of over 250 people. At the same time, the Over 50 Choices group of DWP had written um, a paper and part of the recommendations and the recommendations of the Win Women and Health Employment Select Committee was to have a menopause employment champion. So they approached me in um, February of this year and I was they invited me to a call um, and still probably with my recruiter hat on, they were talking about the brief and I was writing it all down thinking oh they want me to help them to find somebody and um, they and at the end of it I said so do you want me to find somebody for you and they're like no we want you to do it I was like oh wow so that's really it was how it happened and then it just snowballed from that and I went and met Mims Davis who is the uh, MP that I'm working closely with um, she took me to an event where it hadn't been announced in the house I couldn't tell anybody who I was or why I was there which was a little bit strange um, and then she announced it in um, Houses of Parliament on Monday the 6th of March and it's just been a huge roller coaster of great opportunity to work with employers who are doing great things and then we will you know go on to share that as part of our strategy moving forward so yeah that that was really how it happened fantastic and there's lots of little strands there that we'll pull on through this chat mm -hmm. but one of the one of the things I like here is firstly everything you've described there shows what a moment there is behind companies stepping up and doing something on on this in terms of the interest you had from a deco clients the interest you saw coming from the select committee from mm -hmm. other parts of the policy making infrastructure and uh, you know from a slightly parochial rec point of view fantastic that when you've got government and clients thinking about this big people issue they are turning to our sector to recruiters and to staffing uh, as a as a source of specialism because you know when we talk about what we do as a professional service that's that's where we want to be but let me take take you back a little bit to to that that desire amongst a deco clients that you saw mm -hmm. to do something here's a so, so if we think about supporting women through perimenopause and menopause yep. um and yeah the various aspects of why that might matter to employers mm -hmm. beyond 
the fact that it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, thinking particularly about retaining women in the workforce, what would you say are the important things for business owners, directors to understand about this issue and why it matters? Yeah. Okay. So it, essentially it's the cultural piece around it more than more than anything, I would say. So um, just going back to the importance of retaining women in the, the workforce. So we know that women are leaving leadership roles broadly um, faster than ever before. Um, that came out in the McKinsey report in 2022. And um, younger female leaders are seeing that and not, are not as willing to step up into leadership roles. So we need to get better at supporting women in that critical period of time. Um, so over 50s are set to hit 47% of the workforce by 2030. And if you just, just broadly look at it, a 50-50 split of male and female, that's 50% of your workforce Um that will be of the 47% of over 50s by 2030. That's a huge group of people. Um, a, a DECO group with 66% at leadership level, and that, that transcends right through the business. But the importance of supporting them and keeping them in the workplace is from an economic perspective for, for, the, you know, for the employer, so you're not losing that talent out of the, the business, um, because 99% of women who left um, a senior role said it was sorry, 98% who left a senior role due to perimenopause or menopause said it wasn't the practical aspects of it. So it wasn't about, you know, having access to to cold water, being able to sit near um, a window or having, you know, a, a delayed start time. It was about the psychological aspects of it, which are less easy to spot but it was about the things like the anxiety the insomnia the brain fog the lack of confidence all of which are, 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 are symptoms of perimenopause and menopause but are almost a self-fulfilling prophecy in that you believe that you can't do your, your role anymore and it that feeds into imposter syndrome and it makes the whole situation worse so that's more the reason why women in more leadership roles are leaving organisations because of those um, issues and challenges. So that's really hard to spot almost because it's very much an internalised um, aspect of it. So the important thing really is the culture rather than the practical steps. And I think that's what we've changed broadly for ourselves and that's what I talk to clients about that it's it's about how you open up the conversation and you can't just create um, a menopause policy hope it lands and then everybody will adhere to it and actually now if somebody came to me and said I want to see the menopause policy I think that we hadn't done a very good job because we all the policy does is it's a catalyst to start the conversation that starts the culture change. And actually, we launched it through a series of podcasts with senior leaders in the organisation who were willing to talk about their symptoms, their experiences. And that made people think, well, if, if they're finding it challenging, it's okay for me to say that I'm finding it challenging as well. And um, that's what I recommend to clients, that you do something like that 
or you invite somebody in to talk about it and not all organizations want to do that themselves so I've been into a lot of organizations and kicked off the conversation for them and then let them embed it in the organization um, and that comes obviously with training with safe spaces to talk um, I did an, an all-male, all-hands DWP call uh, last week where I just said to them, you'll never see me again. Uh, nothing you can say can embarrass me. So if you've got any questions, and I just open it up for people to talk and ask questions in a safe space. And I, I do exactly the same internally as well to, for our own staff. So it is about that conversation more so at leadership level than the practical aspects of it but I absolutely you know my remit from government is top down across the six major sectors in the UK so it's not just about leadership but the challenges can be different and also you know the I've lost count of the number of women that I've spoken to who've had really senior roles in organisation and felt that they got no alternative but to leave because they just felt that they'd they'd lost their lost their mojo they just hadn't got that confidence anymore and um, they felt like they their time was done when arguably absolutely wasn't so you know I'm a firm believer that going through perimenopause and menopause is it's no time to step down step back or step out of your career altogether because if it's supported and handled properly both by the, the person and the organization arguably you could have the best 10 to 15 years of your career still left because it does give you when you come through it it is a transition it's not the end of anything it's just a change and after that transition you have almost got um, a different level of confidence if you you know if it's been handled properly so it is a, a great opportunity to really look after talent within an organization so there's a couple of things there that I really want to try one is that long view mm -hmm. of um, you, you, what you're doing as an organisation is you're retaining talent in your business for a long run to come. Um, but it's also really clearly, I think one of the challenges we've had uh, in HR in the UK over the last 20 or 30 years, and I say this as a fellow with CIPD, so I'm allowed to talk about the family, um, is that we got a bit stuck in uh if we have a process to help someone do X, then we've solved mm. the problem. Whereas actually we shouldn't be mitigating the culture that exists in our business. We should be changing the culture that exists mm -hmm. in our business. Mm -hmm. I, I, and you've talked really kind of clearly there. I know at Deco you've got a, a uh, really strongly uh, gender diverse leadership team mm -hmm. um, about authentic authentically discussing the issues that leaders face yep and you know we're talking about menopause and perimenopause but there are other issues that will affect leaders men and women in different ways but mm -hmm. just getting past this kind of sense that you know everyone else seems to be doing it brilliantly and not talking about what's going on the inside mm. um helps us as an organization feel that uh feel that everyone is fighting their own battle at different stages of their career and it's mm -hmm. understanding and cultural support that that light the heart that even yeah. if then there are some interventions that you might want to put in place that are helpful mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. And it's a combination, absolutely a combination of things. And I would say that probably the launching the menopause policy was the starting point for that culture change. But if I look now at what we've achieved since then and talk about with our clients as well and encourage them to, you know, we don't go out and say that we are experts in EDI by any stretch of imagination. We've got the data to show the impact it's had on our organisation. And we say to our clients, if you want to, you know, copy any of it, emulate any of it, please do it because it will help you with that culture change. So we started with menopause and that was really opened up the conversation and we did it in a really strategic way. We have, um, as I say, we, we did podcasts and we pretty much do that with all the topics that we cover now. So we do podcasts. We may launch some guiding principles around that, which is that kind of support mechanism. But as I said before, all that really does is open up the conversation. And then we have our weekly inclusion brunches where we launch a topic, which is the opportunity for everybody to dial into that is there because it's done virtually. And we we tend to launch a topic through that. And we do that as a combination of education, lived experience and celebration. If it's a, a particular you know celebratory topic but the topics that we've covered have been so vast since we started to do that um from uh you know men's mental health we've had senior leaders talking about their lived experience uh we've had baby loss um awareness um we had one senior person in the organization who's been here over 30 years and she talked about her experiences of of um baby loss um and that was the first time she'd ever publicly talked about it so that allowed other people to think to come forward and say that happened to me and um so when we do those sessions we then if there's um if there's enough of a requirement, we then go on and, and form networks so we can bring new topics into the inclusion brunches, but then we set up networks. So we've got a holding hands network, which is for people who have experienced um, baby loss. We've got a hot topics network, which is opposite menopause. We've got me uh, men's mental health shoulder to shoulder network who are all volunteers who are doing things to support people in the workplace who are going through experiencing different experiences and, and life life stages. You know, even in a small business like the REC, I experienced that as the chief executive. Mm -hmm. And you know, a, a small example, post pandemic, because we spent a couple of years kind of closer to people's home lives because mm -hmm. their home lives and their work lives are delighted and mm -hmm. in all sorts of ways um if i look at my organization there are a few of us who've had par parenting challenges mm -hmm. over the course of the the, yeah. the pandemic and i think there's a more open discussion mm -hmm. between us in a sense that other employees are in a similar place and that we're not alone uh than, that, than there was before and i think that piece mm -hmm. about networks um is really important especially not just as kind of a a tool to help people process themselves but of course it gives you some clues as the organization as to where an intervention might be helpful mm -hmm. or less helpful and i was going to ask about kind of the life stages of someone in the recruitment industry we started talking about uh, menopause and perimenopause so i think that's a stage of a woman's 
career uh, through through the recruitment yeah. industry. What 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 aside from the network point, what else can recruiters and staffing firms be thinking about doing to support women through their their life stage their life stages in the workforce? I think before before we come on to that, just uh, the really important aspect of talking about menopause and perimenopause in our. Uh, sector is that I was just looking at the data for our particular organisation today and um, 40% of our female workforce are aged between 35 and 55. Perimenopause tends to start 10 years before and start 10 years before menopause. Men, the average age for menopause is 51. So if you're coming up to that sort of early 40s, that's when those symptoms can start to uh, manifest. So but we also need to think about the 42% who are in the 25 to 35 um, age bracket, again, female. So if they see that we're not supporting people at that life stage, they're not going to want to stay in an organisation where when they get to that and potentially they may sail through it, but they may not and they're not going to be supported, that can have an impact. But also we've got to be really mindful that they're not there yet, but they could be having challenges of their own. So we did... um, we did a, uh, an inclusion brunch last summer called Bloody Hell, we're talking about periods, which had we not done the um, menopause um, one before, I don't think we would have ever felt comfortable having that as a title of one of our inclusion brunches and actively encouraging our colleagues, male and female, to come to the brunch to understand what it's like on a day-to-day basis for you know people who are struggling with things like endometriosis, um, PCOS, um, other um, uh, medical challenges that cause really you know difficult um, periods, etc. So there's that aspect of it as well to consider. And then we have. Um, uh, we have a fertility group so anybody who's going a fertility through a fertility journey whatever that looks like for them we have a support group for them and all our support groups are male and female and I think that's really important because mm-hmm. when I started to do the the hot topics network we had male colleagues coming on there because they wanted to help they wanted to support their colleagues but they also inevitably ended up talking about their relationships outside of work whether that be with their you know mum wife sister whatever whatever and how they could support them more broadly but thinking about it from a a race and ethnicity perspective there are certain um, cultures where they just simply do not talk about it or they don't have the words for it and that is across um menstruation and menopause so they were coming on the call thinking this is a really safe space and I can ask a question that I can't ask of my friends my family my my faith group or whatever that is so to be able to provide that support is really really important not just for the people who are going through the experience but people wanting to learn more about it in order to be able to support their wider network and community. And the great kind of kind of the great crossover here is this is fantastic the stuff to be doing to support people in their lives in and outside work but set in the context of a world where we are short on high quality recruiters Mm -hmm. we are short of candidates um 
people are going to stay at the places that they feel they belong. Absolutely. And, and so there, there, you know, we're recruiters. You know, we 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 like the bottom line. Um, there is there's <laughs> there 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 is something here that kind of ticks both boxes that uh, feels. And I talked earlier about there being a moment that there there there's a moment here to for organisations to lean in on this, but also to not to feel that you have to boil the ocean on it that you can do a few things well and obviously you know Adeco are you know one of the the biggest firms in the sector globally mm-hmm. so you have a capacity but you know conversations can happen differently in in smaller uh, businesses in the sector as well mm-hmm. in terms of your women's health strategy that mm-hmm. that sits behind some of these discussions what are the what are the other bits of it that you're putting in place so we're looking at how we can support women throughout their um, well journey. You know, we, we want people to join us and stay with us. And we have um, a, a very high number of long servers. And obviously, you know, we're 66 percent female. So there's a lot of women in the organization that have been here a long time so we're looking at all the you know the life stages from joining the organization through you know what whatever that fertility journey looks like for them we have a new parents network um that they can uh, join um, we've just started talking about and this is obviously not just female but um we've just started talking about um domestic abuse um and again that came from lived experience somebody in our organization that was a, um, a survivor of domestic abuse and she wanted to talk about her experience to be able to support other people and that's a really tough topic but what that did was it allowed other people to come forward and tell their story from a different perspective so um somebody who's ex um girlfriend was the perpetrator uh somebody in a same-sex relationship and somebody whose uh parent was the perpetrator of the uh, abuse emotional abuse not physical um but that allows other people to bring and it's just it's growing all the time how we're supporting people because when we launch a topic we don't know how many people are gonna you know want to join the network etc so it really is whilst we've got a really strong edi strategy because we can't as you say we can't boil the ocean so we have to be it's most of the people that are working on it are doing so uh, in addition to their day job and as you and i both know the day jobs in our sector are extremely broad and extremely busy so we can only do so much but what we we try and do is look at different aspects that are going to support people throughout their career and it's not just women but you know generally we support through fertility potentially baby loss potentially you know coming back from it's a big step having been on um, maternity leave to come back into a job that is um, as busy and all-consuming as working in recruitment is so we know that that can be very very challenging I can just about remember how challenging it was when I came back from maternity leave um, but yeah it's really important that we support through through those stages so we 
we do have, obviously, as I say, we have the brunches, we have the networks, but we also have what we call the Deco Group Talk. So it's called Tag Talk. And that is a group of volunteers who have said, I am willing to talk to somebody on a one-to-one basis and help to signpost them to the support and help they need on these topics because I have lived experience and we train them all. Uh, we, you know, we give them uh, we give them development to, to be a good listener, etc. And that's not to, uh, you know, we're not medical professionals. We're not. Uh, whatever else you, you would want to put in there but we are with these people are willing to have a conversation with somebody and help them to get the support that they need and that those listeners um, are growing all the time on various different topics that, that we cover and that's the thing maybe for smaller businesses uh, is that there is support out there that you can navigate to mm. so when you mentioned domestic abuse you know I've been tangentially involved around the edges of the employers initiative Mm. on domestic abuse for a few years and now run by my friend Susan Bright Um, and I I think there's a lot in there on uh, domestic abuse that Mm. you know it is helpful to firms but equally there's lots of other you know in every other strand there are there there is help out there for employers who are thinking about Mm. how to do this and one of the great things about it is this is non-compete stuff this is about us as as good human beings so there's something here where uh, just learning from good practice matters. Mm-hmm. Just coming on to the uh, government role, I think that probably segues quite nicely into it, that that's absolutely what I'm there to do. It's not about competitive advantage. It's about ensuring that the best practice that is happening in uh, generally is the larger organisations um, gets passed down to the smaller organisations. So as an example, um, if you are, uh, if you work in a small hotel on the south coast and you are experiencing, you know, menopause symptoms, you don't feel like you've got anybody to talk to, etc. You can reach out to um, a large organisation. As an example, Whitbread Premier Inn are doing some brilliant stuff for their um, uh, staff. Um, and you can reach out and access what they're doing, but also we I plan to set up an allyship program so they can reach out and have somebody to talk to in a larger organisation because 99% of people work for SMEs. So, you know, that feeling of isolation and not having anybody to talk to is really real. So by sharing that practical those practical tools and that best practice across sectors and providing that allyship i believe will really help to to support people in the the world of work fantastic and set me up really nicely for the final question the final question is people want (laughs) to learn more about uh about what they can be doing on uh, perimenopause and menopause, mm-hmm. both through the DWP role and the wider work. Where should they mm-hmm. be looking, Helen? I think initially there is so much out there at the moment. And as you can imagine, post uh, appointment, I was inundated with people wanting to share what they were doing. So the next step for us is to hold um, a cross sector roundtable event. Um, 
in on the 8th of June, where we pulled together from the six main sectors in the UK and um, we start to talk about what they're doing, sharing that best practice. We then plan to have probably on the women's health um, website that's owned by Dame Leslie Regan and the work that she's doing for government, uh, we will have a, a menopause portal on there where they can go to access um, that information, etc. Um, and then we will set, we're having sector-specific roundtables with employers second week in July, bringing all their sector-specific best practice together because what works in the retail sector probably wouldn't work in the adult care sector or in the professional and technical. So it's got to be sector-specific because I was really conscious when I was going through perimenopause that I had the luxury of being able to, this was pre-COVID, being able to work from home, manage my own diary, etc., um, but my best friend was a nurse in A&E and then going into COVID, um, doing a 12 hour shift in the middle of summer, wearing head to toe PPE, going through perimenopause. That's not great. And she didn't have those luxuries that I have. Um, so I also want to make sure that we have something in place for all the people that have to be on site running a call centre in front of a class of uh, pupils, running a busy uh, hospital ward, etc. Because I think, as I said right at the start, the psychological aspect of it has an impact on professionals and particularly women at leadership level. But it's not just about them. It's about the people who need the practical help to be able to get through the day to day and stay in the workplace. So that there is an awful lot of information out there. If anybody wants to reach out um, to me, I'm really happy to uh, signpost or support. Um, but the, yeah, the roundtables are coming very, very soon um, and the portal will be up and running probably mid-year um, and we plan to do a formal launch in uh, Menopause Month in October. Fantastic. And obviously you can expect the REC to profile that in all of what we do both Thanks. in October and when it goes live. Helen, thank you, thank you for that. It's a fascinating uh, topic and discussion in an area where, you know, at, at a time where there's a lot of kind of doom and gloom around an area where it really feels like business is stepping up to make a difference. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Absolute pleasure. Lovely to talk to you, Neil. Thank you. And thank you to all of you for tuning into this edition of Talking Recruitment. If you've enjoyed our chat with Helen today, why not check out some of our recent back catalogue. Episode 7 for 2023 with Sarah O'Connor of the FT looks at the march of technology uh, and algorithmic management and its impact on people. Really fascinating uh, discussion with someone who is an engaged challenger of the practice in our workplaces. Uh, or if you're up for a chat about skills, a double bubble on that episode six and episode eight both looking into how are we challenging and developing skills in our uh, regions around England uh, episode six with Dr Fiona Aldridge of the West Midlands Combined Authority episode eight with Chris Fletcher of the Greater Manchester Chamber of Commerce on the Greater Manchester LSIP really interested in terms of how skills are changing and how recruiters can, can get involved 
locally in uh, in helping shape all of that. So a couple of things for you to pick up on if you're not quite sated with, with your desire for some podcast action yet today. Thank you again for joining us. Thanks again to Helen. And I look forward to talking to you again on another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. Thank you for listening today. I hope you took away some valuable thoughts from this discussion. If you'd like to hear more, head to rec.uk.com forward slash talking recruitment or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Simply search Talking Recruitment to find us.